Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Please enjoy today's message. Hebrews 11.1 and Romans 4.17. Hebrews 11.1 goes like this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Romans 4.17 goes like this. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it refers to faith as the evidence of things not seen. Romans 4.17, Paul declares that God exercised faith when he changed Abram's name to Abraham and declared that he was the father of many nations before he had had a single child. That's the God kind of faith. That's the kind of faith we need to emulate as the children of God. Amen? Now, notice that in both of these passages, the emphasis, I believe, is on things unseen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. True faith calls those things that be not as though they were. That's what it says in Romans 4.17. So I submit to you an axiom that I mentioned last week, and I think it bears repeating. Listen to me. The essence of faith is believing God's word, believing God's promises, even when we can't see any evidence that those promises have been or will be fulfilled. That's about as simple as I can state it. It is simple, yet it is profound. It sounds easy, but it's a little bit harder to operate in in our daily lives, isn't it? People of faith, hear God's word, they meditate on the promises of God, and they look into the unseen realm and they say, I see that, I believe that, I receive that. And they continue to call those things that be not as though they were until they are. You see it in the spirit realm, and you call it in by faith by repeating over and over and over again what it is you believe. And sooner or later, as you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that thing will come from the spirit realm and manifest in the natural realm. That's the essence of faith. We need to realize that when we say we believe something, it already exists. It's just in another realm. It's up to us to stand, to believe in our heart, confess with our mouth until we see it transcend the spirit realm and come into the natural realm. Amen? Jesus put it this way. If you had faith, you would say. If you had faith, you would say. Now, there's three things that we can do to set the ship of faith in our lives back on course. Number one. We need to purify our faith to make it more effective. Number two, we need to release our faith by speaking to the mountains in our lives. And number three, we need to demonstrate our faith by corresponding actions of faith. So let's talk about number one. We need to purify our faith to make it more effective. Now, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture to you, uh, but that's okay. This is church. We can read the Bible in church. Amen. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. Then said he unto the disciples, that's Jesus, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if 
Thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, Matthew in chapter 18, verse 21 and 22, Jesus told Peter to forgive his brother 70 times seven in a single day. That's a 490 times in a single day. Now, how many know it's not possible to offend somebody 490 times in a single day? Amen. That would be a real rough day, wouldn't it? I worked it out. If, if somebody offended you once a day, you'd have about a year and a couple of months of being offended every day. <laughs> that would be tough to deal with, right? But 490 times in a single day... You have to know that Jesus is employing what scholars call hyperbole, emphasis by exaggeration. Jesus is saying, even if it were possible to be offended 490 times in a single day, God still expects you to forgive that person 490 times in a single day, if it were possible. Then back to Luke 17, picking it up at verse 5, when the apostles heard this kind of talk, they said, Lord... Increase our faith. (laughs) If I got to forgive somebody 490 times, I need more faith. Now, notice what Jesus said in response. It's very instructive. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. If you had faith, you would say, Also, notice he talks about the grain of a mustard seed. Now, I talked about this last week, but I'm fascinated by this. A mustard seed is about half the size of the sesame seed that you get on your McDonald's hamburger. It's a very small seed. So what Jesus is saying, he makes it clear that the amount of their faith was not the problem. In this case, they just needed to release the faith that they already had. And the way you release your faith is by saying, is by speaking. It's the cosmic law that God used when he created the universe. God said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. You know, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. Some Christians have trouble with that, but I believe it. God said it, and bang, there it was. Amen? It's pretty close to what actually happened in my view. But we're not going to talk about the Big Bang Theory. Let's continue reading. Mark chapter 9, verse 17 through 29. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnashes his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Must have been some kind of picture there. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Listen to what Jesus said. This is so powerful. Jesus said unto him, 
If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now I want to read Matthew's account. Bear with me. Got a little bit more scripture to go through here. Matthew 17, 14 to 21. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Now we get a little bit more information in this passage, in, this, uh, in Matthew's account. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, Ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Let me stop right there. I said this last week, but I believe it bears repeating. There is no such thing as a fasting and prayer demon. Well, that's a special category of demon that can only be cast out if you fast and pray first. Where's my evidence of that? Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't fast. He didn't pray. He had a magnificent vision, and he was in the glory of the Lord, but so were Peter, James, and John. What's the difference? Jesus lived a life of prayer and fasting. He was already prayed up. He had already fasted. He already had no problem with unbelief. Amen? Jesus was saying that when presented with manifestations like the ones we just read, Unbelief can become an issue. Think about it. This boy fell to the ground, started flopping around, foaming at the mouth, gnashing with his teeth. Oftentimes his father said he'd throw himself into the fire or into the water. And the disciples were completely bowled over by what they saw with their eyes. It created unbelief in their heart. And they couldn't get past what they saw with their eyes. So Jesus says the way you get past what you see with your eyes is by fasting and prayer. Amen? Fasting and prayer. Because fasting, as we've said before, puts the flesh down, denies self, so to speak, so that the spirit can rise to ascendancy and you can see things more clearly in the spirit. So remember, there is no fasting and prayer demon, but there may be occasion when somebody asks you to cast the devil out of somebody's child where you need to go pray and fast before you tackle a demon like that. Amen? or you tackle a mountain that just seems overwhelming to you, 
You need to do a little praying and fasting and get the level of unbelief down. All right, things to note. Oh, by the way, fasting doesn't just have to do with food. You can fast other things that will help you as well. Maybe for a week or more, you could fast television or fast the shows that you know are no good for you. Or maybe fast the newspaper or fast the news service that you go to on the Internet. Because whether you realize it or not, if you fill yourself up with that 24-7, it will weigh you down. I don't care whether your politics are liberal or conservative. Either way, too much CNN, too much Fox News, and it will weigh you down. It will make you feel desperate, and it will make you feel defeated and burdened. So maybe fast those things. I remember a story that Lester Sumrall shared when he first went to England to meet Smith Wigglesworth. And he set up an appointment and came to Smith's house at the prescribed time and knocked on his door. And he had a newspaper in his left hand. He was knocking with his right hand. He said, Brother Smith, it's me, Lester Sumrall. Remember, we had a meeting. He said, you can come in, but you're going to have to leave the newspaper out. Leave it on the doorstep and you come in, but leave that newspaper out. Smith Wigglesworth was known as a great man of faith. And one of the reasons he operated in such faith is he didn't allow the conversation of the world to pollute his faith. Now, I'm not saying that we, as the people of God in modern times, need to be totally ignorant of what's going on in the world because I think we need to be informed to a degree so we know how to pray. And I don't think Smith meant don't not know what's going on in the world. But what he meant was right now, what we're about to talk about right now, we don't need to look at the things of the world. We don't need to think about what's going on in the world. We don't need to think about what the world is saying. We need to hear the Spirit of God. Amen? Do you see the difference? Praise God. Now, one thing to note, the disciples tried to cast the devil out of this boy, but they were not able to. And I submit to you, this was probably the first time that they had ever failed to cast out a devil. Remember over there in Matthew chapter 10, he sent the 12 out two by two. He gave them authority to cast out devils, among other things. And then when he sent out the the, uh, 70 in Luke chapter 10, he also gave them, he sent them out two by two, he gave them authority to cast out devils. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So they, just a few chapters prior to this, were rejoicing that devils were subject to the name of Jesus, and now they encounter this boy wallowing and foaming and flopping on the ground, gnashing his teeth, probably growling too, and they could not handle the optics And they just had too much unbelief generated in their heart to operate in faith. So a couple of things I want you to learn and glean from this story. We we read Mark and Matthew's account. Number one, it is possible to have faith and unbelief in your heart at the same time. Remember the man said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. So there was belief and unbelief in him. And the unbelief was doubt. Amen? So how do you deal with that? Well, Jesus had no problem dealing with the demon-possessed boy because he lived a life of prayer and fasting, as I already said. And unbelief was not an issue with Jesus. 
Again, Jesus makes it clear that the amount of faith was not the issue. It was the unbelief that was polluting the faith that they already had. And he recommended prayer and fasting as a remedy to unbelief as a means of purifying their faith. Now, what do I mean by that? All right, let's just use an example, like a barometer. Let's just say in our heart right now, we got this much faith, but we have this much unbelief. Now, those of you who listen by radio or podcast, the unbelief barometer is higher than the faith barometer. You might have a little bit of faith, but it's polluted by the unbelief, and it is ineffective because of the unbelief. Rather than saying to the Lord, Lord, increase my faith, he said, reduce the unbelief. Reduce the unbelief. When you reduce the unbelief, even a little bit of faith is more than you need to tackle the mountains in your life. Dial down the unbelief, and it purifies the faith that's in your heart. Amen? So if there's something you've been praying for for a long time, maybe it's time to fast a few things. Maybe it's time to fast anything that's bringing unbelief into your heart, anything that may be hindering you from believing God for whatever it is you're praying for. And maybe take some time to fast and then re-energize your prayer and hit it again. Because if it's a prayer that's founded on the promise of God, I promise you God is not holding back from you. The Bible says he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. God is not a holder back. He is disposed to give. He wants to give. But sometimes you tie his hands because there's too much unbelief in your heart and he cannot honor the faith because it's been polluted by that unbelief. So rather than try and become some mountain-moving man of God like Smith Wigglesworth and, and build our faith up, Why don't we just be content to use the faith we have and just dial down that level of unbelief and purify that faith? Amen? Hallelujah. I hope you're getting this. And then Jesus made it clear that the key to releasing their faith once again was to speak to the mountains in their lives. Remember when he talked about forgiving somebody 490 times in a single day? He said, if you had faith, you would say. And then when confronted with this deaf and dumb spirit, he said the same thing. If you had faith, you would say. So it's an overriding principle in every area of faith. If you had faith, you would say. Amen. Dial down the unbelief and then operate in your faith and begin to speak what you believe. Mark eleven twenty three and 24. For verily I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking. How do I know that? Because it's read in my Bible. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24, Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. So when you pray, when do you have the thing that you're believing God for? Immediately. You just say, I prayed, I thank you, Lord, I have it now. Now listen, we talked about before, it's in the realm of the Spirit, but you still have it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen in this realm. So when you pray, believe that you already have it, begin to thank Him for it, and confess it, and believe it in your heart, and it'll move that thing from the Spirit realm into the natural realm. Things to note. Now listen, this is very important. 
Jesus did not say that you could have what you say if God believed the words that you say. He said that you could have what you say if you believe the words that you say. Do you see the difference? Let's read it again. For verily I say to you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, I know that us full gospel types sometimes, you know, we pick up the moniker, the name it and claim it crowd. Blab it and grab it, you know. (laughs) However you say it, I'm proud to be in the company of Jesus because Jesus was the one who said, you can have what you say if you believe it in your heart and you don't doubt. Now, you cannot question that Jesus was the one who said that. And I know a lot of people try to minimize that and try and maybe make it say something that it doesn't say, but it's very evident, isn't it? If you say it with your mouth, you believe it in your heart, and you don't doubt, the thing that you say will come to pass. Now, it has to line up with the Word and the will of God. Everybody knows that, right? I believe God for a million oil wells. Well, it's probably not God's will for you to have a million oil wells, or you'd know it already, amen? Let's be careful we don't slip over into presumption. Let's stay in faith. Again, the key is to reduce the amount of unbelief. Even in this scripture, Jesus said that you shouldn't doubt in your heart. You shouldn't doubt in your heart that the things that you're going to say will come to pass. It's the same way of saying pure faith reduces unbelief and then speaks what it believes. Amen? So getting back to our three main points. So far, we've covered our first two points pretty well. Number one, We need to purify our faith to make it more effective. And number two, we need to speak to the mountains in our life. The one that we haven't really touched on yet is number three. We need to demonstrate our faith by corresponding actions of faith. Now, I'd like to use the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel 17, which we covered in some detail last week to show you that David employed all three of these truths when he faced a real-life giant in his life. Now, I'm not going to reread the Scriptures but I think you're familiar enough with the story that you'll follow me. You might say that David faced a mountain of a man and had to employ all three principles to achieve victory over his foe. Number one, David told King Saul two times what he was going to do to Goliath before he even entered into the valley to challenge him. He said, the same God that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear He will deliver this giant into my hand. He said it twice to King Saul, even before he took to the battle. Number two, when David entered the valley of Elah and moved toward Goliath, he ignored the things that Goliath said he was going to do to him. And he didn't let it cloud his faith, and he didn't let those words enter into his heart. He responded instead by telling Goliath two times to his face, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to take your head off your shoulders, and I'm going to feed your body to the birds. He said it twice. And number three, David ran toward Goliath as a corresponding action of faith. He really believed God was going to deliver him into his hands. You wouldn't run toward a giant if you weren't sure God was going to take that giant down for you. Amen? He believed in his heart, and he said it repeatedly with his mouth, and he ran toward his giant fully expecting that Goliath would be dead within minutes. And that's exactly what happened. Now, this was a young boy, 17, maybe 18 years old, 
who was not born again, not filled with the Spirit like you and I are. How much more should we be operating in these very simple principles? Number one, we need to purify our faith to make it more effective. Number two, we need to speak to the mountains in our lives. And number three, we need to demonstrate our faith by corresponding actions of faith. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again.